0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Frontier Faith, a podcast where it's okay not to know, not to know what you believe, why you believe it, or where you're going in your faith journey. Uh, It's a podcast where we explore what it means to be on the frontier, Uh, whether that's the frontier of theology, the frontier of a church expression, or just the frontier in your own life as you challenge what you used to believe and why you believe it, and as you live the life that uh, you've been given. My name is Nathan Whitaker.
1: My name is Ryan Harris.
0: And today we are going to continue our project, but we're not going to be talking about the high end, uh, abstract thoughts about what the goals are and the commitments you can look at those in the last uh, few podcasts. Uh, we've been processing what it would look like to have a community that lives on the frontier. In our last episode, we talked about, uh, some of the things that we would like to do. And one of them was an extension of the podcast. There was a second building a community, third allowing for conversation, and fourth uh, hearing stories and hearing where people are in their lives. And today we're going to be listening to a story. We're going to be listening to more of Ryan's story and what that means for his journey of faith and where he is. One of the things that Ryan and I were talking off, uh, you know, the podcast is uh, what what would the name of what we are doing be? And uh, in our episode last week, we talked about The Moth, which is an NPR radio station well, rather radio program that uh, kind of captures what we're trying to do in the faith world. It shares raw raw uh, stories, but also just everyday stories of how, how even knitting can be something that's really fantastic for people. Um, and we wanted to do the same based off of, uh, Jesus giving room to the Samaritan woman to tell her story and to hear from him. And so we decided that we would call this little thing that we're doing the, well, uh, we would have the well conversations.
1: Nobody tell NPR cause we can't afford a lawyer. Okay. Yeah.
0: So we're going to have a story that we hear at The Well, uh, and it's going to be Ryan's story today. We're going to hear a little bit more of Ryan's story. I know we talked about end times and the impact of that. You can look at that episode at some point, um, preferably after you listen to this one. Uh, But today we're going to be talking about something a little bit different. Uh, What are we talking about, Ryan? Ryan?
1: Well, other than me. (laughs) So, I mean, if you've listened to any of our episodes, most of our episodes, you've probably heard me talk about myself a little bit. But what I wanna do today is tell more of my story in terms of being gay in the, specifically within the conservative evangelical world that I grew up in, and until a few years ago was very much still a part of. So I wanna tell more of that story. Partly because I think and hope it will be a good example of the kind of thing we were talking about last week. Um, I think the act of telling my story, because I've told it before, (laughs) but I think telling your story is like we talked about something that can be really helpful with um, healing, with understanding, with uh, just parsing your life, you know. So I want to do that because it's good for me, but I I hope more than it being good for me, I hope that it is good for any of you who are listening. And when I say good, that's pretty vague. I guess what I mean is I hope it makes you think about something maybe in a way you haven't before. And uh, I think I'll just leave it at that because we'll just, I'll let the story do the work itself, hopefully.
0: Spoken like a true narrative guy. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I was going to make caveats about not changing doctor. I was like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. But that's their problem. So,
0: yeah. So my, what we want to do at the well, just so that you remember is we want to talk about, or rather we want to listen. We want to listen to the story. We can ask questions, of course, and and process, but especially with this, part of what we're doing, we want to dedicate ourselves to really listening and understanding. Um, So we're going to really ask some, I'm going to fill in the role of the audience and I'm going to listen and I'm going to ask questions here and there uh, to help us uh, really understand what's going on. But what we want more than anything else is to hear Ryan's story about being a gay man in the um, conservative church. So uh I think I'll let you choose where you want to start but I will say that I think a lot of people like to start uh hearing the story of when did you discover you were gay. I don't yeah. know if that's where you want to start but so
1: for me that was complicated. Um you know, you'll meet some people or hear some people who will talk about they knew they were gay when they were 5 or whatever. Um they've known their whole life, that kind of thing. And that's not been the case. That was never the case for me. Um, Honestly, until puberty happened, I didn't think about any of these things. I didn't really think, certainly I didn't think about sex, but I didn't even think of like identity in that way. Um, So it wasn't, it wasn't like that for me. I think, you know, when, when puberty happened is when, well, what happens to everybody (laughs) when that does. And so then it became more of, uh, something that was going on, but honestly, so I'm 12 or 13 or whatever it was, you know, at that point. And on the one hand I could say, well, that's when I knew I was gay, except I didn't. And the reason for that was because the world I grew up in, um, didn't have anything good to say about gay people. So this would have been in, gosh, I would have been 12, what, in like the or like mid to late 90s, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, it was very different than now. I mean, things have changed a lot, gosh, just in the last 10 years, let alone the last 15 or 20. But, you know, I grew up and um, gay people were presented as the enemy, specifically the enemies of God, the enemies of the church. You know, uh, we were never um, involved with like, terrible people like Falwell and stuff, but his kind of thing, um, even if I never heard anybody say that um, AIDS is because God hates gay people, um, that kind of attitude was still kind of permeated throughout the evangelical world, at least as I experienced it, even if most of them aren't as terrible as that guy. Um, So I heard things like that. I heard um, Christians would say things like, uh, you know, all gay men will eventually be pedophiles, this kind of thing, Um, which now I know is prejudicial and ignorant bullshit. But when I was 13, I didn't know that. So, I mean, that was something I worried about happening to me, you know? And, you know, I remember my parents changing the channel or stop watching shows if there were gay characters, this kind of stuff. So in many and various ways, it was um, communicated to me, not just by my family, but I mean, from the entire world that I lived in, that gay people were not just sinners, but in some way, even though nobody said this, in some way, the worst of sinners, like they'd say that, yes, no sin is worse than the other. But what I always heard or learned, despite what they said was, yeah, but this one's the worst. And I think maybe because there was almost always the accompanying because it's gross and we don't like it you know, like they'd say not just that it's wrong, but that it's like it's unnatural, it's uh disgusting, it's you know, whatever. And thankfully I was never involved in this. Um, partly because I never told anybody till much later in life, but this was also the time when gay conversion therapy was more of a thing for Christians anyway. I don't think it happened much in the world outside of the church, but um Thankfully, that was never a part of my life because it really fucks people up. But um, that whole attitude was very prevalent, you know, thinking that if you're gay, it's because you have a bad relationship with your father or you've been molested when you were a child or any mm-hmm. number of things. Mm-hmm. So when you put all of that together, you've got, you know, me in my very confused because who the hell isn't confused at that time in life. Yeah, right. Right. From like 12 to, well, forever. But, you know, let's just say from 12 to 18 or so. Um you know, looking back at it now, I could say, well, I knew I was gay because I knew what turned me on, but I didn't because I simply could not accept it. Right. Um, if I had a crush on a boy in my class, it didn't mean anything because it couldn't, you know, I just like had this, what I see now is a very sophisticated survival mechanism, you know, but it was just this like ultra compartmentalized life Mm. of, um, If I had been an an outside observer in my own life, then I'd have said, well, of course he's gay. Right. (laughs) I mean, duh. But Ryan at 15 was not capable of saying that because, Mm -hmm. you know, Ryan knew that gays burned in hell and would become pedophiles and et cetera and all those, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, And I think the other part of it was that I, because of all of this, I not only couldn't admit it to myself, but like, if I had even contemplated admitting it to my family, like what would happen? You know, mm-hmm. um, like I said, I didn't have much of a conception of gay conversion camps and such then, but, and I don't know that that would have happened, but like, regardless, that was the, the kind of thing I was afraid of, afraid of being ultimately rejected by everybody that loved me. Um from my family all the way to God, right? Because that's what I heard all the time. So that's kind of where I was for a long time. Um, And honestly, it wasn't until I was about, I think I was about 25 or 26 before I could even admit it to myself, which is a long time, although not super uncommon. Um, And I'll tell you what happened because this is one of those points in my story where I still can't entirely, I can't explain what was going on why that day of all days was the 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 breaking point, so to speak. So I still don't know what it was about this particular day because, um, well, let me just tell you how it happened. Uh, so I was in seminary at the time, the first seminary, and um, I was walking to my car after class. And as, I, as far as I can remember, we hadn't talked about anything even remotely related to LGBT stuff like I don't, there was no controversy. No one had said something that upset me that I can remember. This was, you know, 19 years ago now, gosh, 50, whatever it is, 15. I don't know. I can't math, but anyway, yeah. Um, So I was walking to my car and all of a sudden I stopped in the middle of the parking lot, it was a small place. So I wasn't really in danger, thankfully. (laughs) And I just kind of stopped and I, for whatever reason said, huh, I think I'm gay. And I, like I said, I don't know what it was about that day or that, uh, time. I don't really know other than I think it might be that I had suppressed all of this stuff for so long that I think as humans, at some point you can sublimate stuff for a long time, but Mm -hmm. at some point it comes out one way or another, if you'll pardon the phrase in this case, um, like you know, sometimes that doesn't mean that the person will necessarily come out, but they may uh, do something else that helps them deal with it. And I think for whatever reason, I kind of describe it as like, if I was some kind of jar um, that I had just shoved stuff in, you know, all of this that I couldn't deal with at some point, if you keep putting stuff in a jar, it breaks at some point. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, that day was the day. And so I think about that now as something that was both very good, because i mean it was something that had to happen before anything else could, right um it was being able to admit it to myself was central to the ability to process it and figure out what that means and what it didn't mean and all of that kind of thing Mm -hmm. to work on a lot of the theological questions i had about like and more than just theological but like does god even love me kind of stuff but it was also pretty bad because now it was a real thing And I remember thinking, well, I'm never, ever going to tell anybody. Um, And so that was good, but it was bad because it was probably one of the most isolating moments and then periods in my life. Because, I mean, if you think about it, I, in some way, it felt like a weight off at least my own internal shoulders, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it felt like more was piled on there because... I didn't feel like I could tell my family because again, I just didn't know what they would do. Like, I don't think I realistically thought they'd like cut off all contact, but something about being gay in that setting is you never know for sure. It seems like it's at risk. And I wasn't going to tell my best friend because as if my life were some kind of shitty romantic comedy, I was in love with him at the time. And by the way, he was straight. So, you know, of course. Right. So I wasn't going to tell him, and you know the seminary I was at, um, I was afraid if you know I'd get kicked out of school um, yeah. because that's a thing that they do. And so you know I've got debt. I'm halfway through an MDiv, and I don't, I don't want to you know get kicked out of school and not be able to finish because um, then I'd have all these loans and literally nothing to show for it. So this was all going on, and like I said, that was probably one of the. You know, it always sounds so dramatic, but maybe that's just how it was, is that like it was one of the darkest times I've had, because now, even though I was not processing it with anybody else, I was trying to process it myself.
0: Like, Mm.
1: you know, what does that mean? Right. So yes, I've, I've, I've accepted the fact to myself that I am attracted to other men, but, um, what does that mean? You know, at the time, I'm like, does that mean that I'm condemned to hell? Does it mean that maybe these things have been wrong and I should move to San Francisco? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah. I didn't say those words, but it was kind of those dichotomies that I felt Um, and not sure where to go from there.
0: Did you think about how what so I've heard this story a few times. What was interesting was that little detail of not knowing how to complete your two years left in the MDiv. Mm-hmm. Did you think about your future uh, in the profession? Because if you were gay, then yeah, in your church body, you wouldn't be able to be uh, anything. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. No, I mean, eventually. That wasn't my thought that day, although I think it was in the stew of like, well, this is this world, these assemblies of God, you know, I didn't have concrete plans, but I had planned to have my whole career be in that world somehow. Yeah. Maybe a pastor, maybe as a professor, maybe something else like, you know, and all of those things would no longer be possible. At least that's what I had figured at the time, which spoiler turns out it's true anyway. Um, so yeah, that was in there too, of like, it wasn't just like, um, what does this mean for me now? It's like this, this changes my entire life. Um, I've not ever been one who's planning out years in advance, but I knew a trajectory and now I didn't have one. Yeah. So yeah, you can, you can probably understand that when I say it was a rough spot to be in, (laughs) you know, I mean, here I was, right. I'm almost about halfway through an MDiv. So a master's of divinity degree, and I've been in some kind of ministry my whole life, you know, because of my family and I didn't know if God loved me. In fact, I was at that point, pretty sure at the best I could hope for was ambivalence. You know, mm. um, I thought if I'm lucky, he won't be like, he won't be consumed with wrath for me. That was like the best I felt like I could shoot for. Because okay. I mean, that's, that's what I was told. Um, that's what I had learned. That's what I had told myself over and over again because of these things. Like, I think what it was is that there was so much shame tied up in this, this, this part of my identity. And so as we know what shame does to people, shame is, I mean, toxic. You know, there are some emotions that are unpleasant that still can have good effects, right? I mean, you can feel guilt about something and that can be something that's central to you trying to put it to rights. But shame has no positive. Shame doesn't say you've done wrong. Shame says you are wrong. Like deep inside yourself, there is something terrible and wrong about you. And that's pretty much where i existed for i don't know three four years i guess um two three years something like that
0: and ground us where were you in your life at this time like what was going on in your life
1: so it was not too long after this that i decided um so this was about i was almost done with seminary at that at this point like going forward a bit and i decided i wanted to get a phd partly because i really did want to right i i really do like to teach and had always wanted to do that in like the college level or, you know, at a seminary or something. But I don't think I realized it then. But I really do think part of it was, I can't decide this stuff right now. And it didn't, I I think internally, I felt like it wouldn't be right to be a pastor if I'm wrestling with these kinds of things Mm. myself, and afraid to do it. And I thought, you know, if I can get into a PhD program somewhere, one, it is what I want to do, but two, it, man, it gives me a lot more time to try and figure this out. Although that wasn't like, I didn't go into it thinking, oh, good, now I can figure it out. But I think that was very much in there, um, subconsciously at least. It was, I need something to do um, because I can't do what I had planned on right now. Yeah. And it's something I want to do anyway. Um, So that's what actually got me to St. Louis, where I went to seminary. You know, I got accepted into a PhD program in theology. And, uh, you know, that's why I came here. But I also got involved in a church, an Assemblies of God church. It was a smaller one. It had been started about five, I think, four or five years ago when I got here, maybe even less than that. And I went there because I thought, well, if they're smaller, I'll... I'll have something to do because that helps me with my social anxiety, right? Because I have Mm -hmm. a, a task to do when I'm at church or whatever. And I went and they were nice. You know, it's amazing how many churches you go to and you feel awkward the entire time and you're lucky if one person says hello let alone anything else right plus i went to this one church that was a disaster where the pastor got up and started doing some quote prophetic word end quote about something that was happening in syria at the time and he went on for 30 minutes about bullshit and then he started his sermon and i just got up and left i was (laughs) like yep nope 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 (laughs) anyway (laughs) it was terrible
0: um All these were Assembly of God churches? Yes.
1: Yeah, they were. And so as I was at this church that I stayed at, it got to be a really good place. Um, I got especially close with the pastor there. He was not my age, but he was probably the youngest pastor I'd had. I mean, when I got there, he was probably 41, 42, you know, Um, so fairly young. And it had been a few years, right? So I was playing the piano. I was involved. I don't think I, I wasn't doing any teaching then, but um, I did some stuff. I led a Bible study or two because that was kind of the thing I was good at and they recognized it. And he was preaching one day a sermon about secrets because of course he was, right? <laughs> <laughs> and he I think the story was about Nathan, the prophet and David and Yet it was interesting because I've heard that kind of sermon before, but unlike a lot of them, this one wasn't so confessed now because God is angry at you, right? It wasn't, he wasn't taking the place of Nathan and saying, you are the dude who did all these terrible things. Mm -hmm. He was more using it as a way to talk about how secrets have a way of really running your life um, in ways that are not healthy. And how he believed that while well, you should not tell everyone or even many people your deepest secrets, right? He, he said something along the lines of, I think every Christian should have at least one person in their life um, who they don't have those kind of big secrets from, not out of some weird voyeurism, but out of like um, when you don't have those kind of secrets, they lose a lot of their power over you. So I'm sitting here listening to this and I felt like, God was saying the whole time of like, it's time to tell someone you should tell him. I mean, I didn't hear any voices, no angels descended and gave me a letter or anything. Um, But it was just one of those times where I knew God was speaking to me. Like it felt like there wasn't really anyone else in the room at the time. It was one, I don't have very many of those. I can think of one or two times in my life like that. and, And this was one of them. And so I said, okay, and then I said, I'll do that tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and then those tomorrows turned into a lot of tomorrows. And so yeah. it'd been, you know, cause I mean, like he seemed like a cool guy, but I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, right. I mean, this would, this would be the first person ever that I had told. It wasn't even just the fact that he was the pastor that I liked at a church. I liked it was that like, I was contemplating telling someone this secret that really had run my life, my whole life and, put me in some really bad places in terms of dealing with toxic shame and all of that. Like, it was terrifying to think about actually telling that to someone.
0: So to be clear, you haven't told anyone at this nope, point, not, not even your brother?
1: Not a single person, um, nobody. Okay. And so I think about a week, maybe two weeks had gone by. And this always sounds contrived, but I promise you this is how it happened. Okay, <laughs> it really did. He called me up one day. And I, I think it was just he said, "Hey, I have you on my calendar that we had a meeting, but I didn't write anything down and don't know of anything we need to meet about." Is is there something that that you need? <laughs> like he says this on the phone, and and I I hear him, and I sit there long enough of a pause that he's like, "Are you still there?" Because <laughs> like I'm like, oh, "God, okay, that's what I said internally." I was like, "All right, fine," and I said, "Well, actually." yeah, I think, I think there is something. And and I told him, can we get together sometime? And, and he said, sure. And it was only maybe a day or two after that. And, you know, like, I don't to this day know why it happened that way. I had not asked him for a meeting. So I guess it's possible that he had put something in there that he wanted and forgot about it. But I don't know that God put me in his calendar, but something strange, but good happened yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So I went to his house and I told him, I kind of told him similar things to what I've just told you here. Most That was generally what I told him. Um, But at that time where I had kind of landed was um, the way I felt like I could deal with all of this was that I was working on this idea that maybe it's not sinful, to be attracted to other men, like the orientation, those desires, um, being gay in that sense. To me, it kind of felt like, well, I can't do anything about it because I had tried for a very long time to not be. Um, That's a common thing you'll find with, well, not just gay men who are, or or I'm assuming for um, lesbians or others, but I'll just talk about gay men because I'm one of those. (laughs) Um, But you'll find a lot, try really hard to be straight. You know, I have a friend who he says he prayed every day for seven years for God to make him straight and it didn't happen, you know. I didn't mm-hmm. do that long, but it, it didn't happen for me either. So what I had kind like the way I was starting to work on um was maybe it's okay for that. And then the problem is comes in if I were to ever engage in any kind of uh acting on it in any way. So if I were in a relationship or had sex or got married to a guy, like any of those things, you know, would have been sinful. Mm-hmm. But at that time I thought, well, but maybe just feeling this way is not necessarily
0: wrong. Kind of like Bobby's morally neutral stuff.
1: Yeah, it was, it's similar to that. I didn't frame it that way. And I certainly didn't get there that way from Aquinas, but um, <laughs> yeah, it was similar to that of like, It got to the point of like well i can't change this i've asked god god did not change this and so this is kind of where i am and so it actually went really well and it it to me clearly was god working it out that he was the first person i told because the first thing he said after i finished talking was he said well he said i don't think i have necessarily all or maybe even most of the answers for you but he said, I hope it's I hope that you know that you don't have to try and figure them out alone anymore. And um mm. like that was a big deal because yeah. that had been my biggest fear my whole life. You know, I I like everything else wrapped up in I can't tell people was if you boiled it all down, it was like I would be like alone, like ultimately alone. Like even if God were mad at me forever yeah, I was terrified of hell and burning forever, but the bigger fear was being totally alone for eternity. You mm-hmm. know, So I know it wasn't an accident that I told him first um, because, and then he said, and I want you to know, he said, there's no reason you can't be part of the church. He said, I, "I, it doesn't mean you can't be in ministry here. He said, now, if you were in a relationship, that'd be a different conversation. But he said, where you're at right now, there are no problems. So that was a big deal, you know? I mean, that's like almost a stupid thing to say, but it was like kind of world-changing. Yeah. Because I still didn't know at that point how I would tell anybody else, but I'd told somebody, right? Uh, The secret was still a secret because he wasn't gonna tell anybody, but, but somebody else knew. Yeah. And I don't remember the time period from there, but somewhere it going forward within the next few months or year or whatever it was i did end up coming out to two of my friends and different people for different reasons (laughs) one uh she and i had become really good friends and um i had just i don't know you probably haven't seen it but if you've ever seen the movie love simon and by the way just a recommendation. If you ever want to know kind of what this might feel like, you should watch that movie. It's, you know, it's a teen romance, but they're gay. But whoever the writer and director clearly have gone through this themselves because it like the character's life bear no resemblance to mine, and yet it was so similar in some of these major things. So mm. there's a part in the movie where he's driving with his friend and he just pulls over to the side of the road and stops and sits there. And she's like, uh, Simon, <laughs> like, what, what's going on? You know, and and then he tells her there might have been something else, but he tells her he's gay and he goes through the whole I don't know why all this kind of stuff. And like, that's what happened to me with this friend. Um, I think we might have gotten to one of our houses, but I was just sitting there and then I just told her and it was another person. And it was a little bit easier than the first time, but it was still pretty Terrifying, pretty hard, you know, like honestly, it's become so much easier now. But even uh, I don't know, seven, eight years later, it's still hard to tell people. You still get like my heart doesn't race anymore, but it's still difficult. Mm-hmm. but and then I met another friend who walked into church one day, and he's gay himself and also a Christian. And so, in addition to just being a really wonderful guy, is one of my best friends, I think he helped me a lot in just dealing with some of the shame that I had. In that, you know, I think what was helpful, in addition to him just being a really good friend, was that here was somebody who'd asked some of these same questions. And while he landed somewhere very different than I did, he was still someone who had been gay and Christian for a long time, at least compared to me, anyway. So that was kind of where I was at. And you can probably guess where the next group of people that needed to know was, right? Was I started wanting to tell my family. And when I say wanting, I mean not wanting, but feeling (laughs) like I wanted, like I needed to. Um, Partly because I was ready to not have this be this all terrible secret like it was, but partly because, you know, this was still only about three people who knew, but you know like benjamin franklin said three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead i don't know if he actually said that but that's the silly quote right yeah right i think i was worried about them finding out somehow from someone who wasn't me so i i called i don't know somewhere it hadn't been that long after i'd met this other friend and you know i called my brother one night because i decided that he was safer to tell first <laughs> <laughs> you know and um So I called him and he was at like a friend's house or something. And I was like, can I, I need to talk to you. And he's like, are you okay? And I was like, well, I'm okay. It's not an emergency, but I, he's like, do you mean to go home for a bit and we can talk? I was like, yeah. And I never do that. Right. So he knew Hmm. something was up and ironically enough, he later told me he thought I was going to tell him I got a girl pregnant or something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I just, I told him, you know, I said, uh, I'm gay. And I told him a lot of the stuff I've been saying here. And he was surprised. I guess he'd never really expected that. But, you know, you heard his story on here if you've listened to his episode. And so he, I mean, he wasn't, he didn't have a problem with it. I know he said it. he he and his wife were really worried for me, not because they thought it was wrong to be gay, but because they knew, the kind of difficulty this was going to create in my life in the world that I was in.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: And also I needed to tell him first because I wanted to tell my parents in person and they live in Washington state. So that's far away. And I didn't have the money to to buy a plane ticket. Right. And so Trevor bought me a plane ticket so I could come up because I just didn't want to do that conversation on Skype. And You know, so I come to do that and, you know, I used to be really scared of flying. And then after that flight up, I'm not anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I think I was, I I noticed when I got off the plane that I was just like too distracted to even like too worried about this other thing to be afraid of the the plane. Um, so anyway, I, 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 somewhere (laughs) in that trip, I tell my parents and it was a difficult thing to do, um, I told them I was gay and I did tell them because like at this time, I was still very much in the place of, but I'm not planning to ever do anything with that. Like I am attracted to men and that won't change. It can't change, but I'm not looking to date. I'm not going to be in a relationship because at that time, I believe that would be wrong, right? Because quote, the Bible says so. And um, they had a hard time with it. Partly because I guess you know a lot of times you'll hear parents say like um, that uh, they always knew. Well, my parents did not. <laughs> and uh, well, if your brother didn't. Yeah, no, I mean, none of them did. It's yeah. not a that's not a criticism of them. No, I just no. you know I took it took all of them by surprise. And you know, it went a lot better than it does for some people. And you know they they did make it clear that. Um, it didn't change that they loved me and I wasn't gonna, it didn't, I was always gonna be, uh, just the same part of the family as I was. And, you know, I think it did help them that I made it clear that I wasn't going to be in any kind of relationship. Um, but they still struggled with it. It's, uh, it was still difficult. And I don't think that they were ashamed of me, although I worried about that at the time, I think it was more questions that a lot of evangelical parents would ask themselves in that situation of like, did I do this somehow? Is this is my fault, you know? Um, and, you know, it, it, it took some time. Um, we're in a pretty good place today, but it took them a long time and took me a long time because this was totally new territory. And, you know, it, it was a good experience too and it was really important and I'm certainly glad I did it but it was one of the hardest things I ever did um, telling them that because of all the fears I'd told you about before there was just that nagging unknown that never went away until I did it and found out. Hmm. And so I, like I said, so I found out and there's more to say there, but that that's the gist of it for this today's story because this all led me to the point where, so, okay, some people know I, st- I, I even actually did a, a sermon, a, a teaching at my church where I talked about this story and I used it to talk about why I believed that, um, you know, people who are gay aren't sinning by being like the orientation is not wrong, but God calls us to um, something else, probably celibacy, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. And it, I listened to it recently because I have a recording of it and it was really good. And now I would not say a lot of the things I said, but <laughs> anyway, so I'd done all of this. So people knew, I was doing much better with it than I had been because I had accepted at least that much of it. And I had a a way to deal with it, right? I had a framework to put myself in. Um, I even found a group of people here in St. Louis who who believed the same thing, um, who were trying to figure out how to live as Christians um, and yet also be gay, even though we all thought that meant that you know we could never act on it in any way and you know they helped me a lot too but that group and my my place in it really was one of the things that brought us up to what will be somewhat of a transition but i want to take a pause for a second and say is you know before we go there is there anything you know any questions or clarifications at this point
0: So tell us a little bit about not the content of the sermon, but more especially how you process through the development of that sermon, because uh, I've been along this journey with you for a fair bit of uh, your adult life. And I know that it's a lot more complicated and nuanced than a lot of people think it is in the conservative world especially. Mm -hmm. Um, So what was it that you were grappling with as you were telling that story to your congregation as you were preparing that sermon? So I think
1: even with all of this, having been able to tell people, having been able to start processing what some of this meant and didn't mean for me with some other people besides just myself, I think what I was still trying to wrestle with was the deep loneliness that resulted, right? Because I had found a way to exist within my Christian world in a way that I felt was honoring to God, right? I was doing what I thought the Bible said, you know, even though I didn't like it. And in fact, my pastor even said, when I told him, he said, you know, I wish the Bible didn't say what it did, you know, this would be a lot easier. So I was doing what I thought was the right thing, you know, but if you'll remember that my deepest fear was being alone mm-hmm. um, what this perspective told me was well that's how it's always going to be I mean yes you can have friends and and you know other family members and such but in the end you know I worried about waking up someday and having no children no spouse my family all dead and nobody would even know who I was now mm. again saying it now that seems kind of dramatic but that was a very real fear. And I didn't think even then that if I had a boyfriend, then that wouldn't be the case, right? I knew it was more complicated than that. But what that had created for me was how do I deal with that? And so when mm. it came to the the sermon, I actually uh, this wasn't the only thing I talked about, but I talked about specifically, I used Abraham's story as a way of trying to grapple with this. and Not the whole thing, because it's a long one and there's some weird shit in there, but, (laughs) (laughs) you know, Abraham and Isaac, right? This is the story that, gosh, so many things have been done with it over the years, the centuries. But I got from that this idea that God had asked Abraham to give up the thing he wanted more than anything in the world. Right. So uh, Isaac was the child of the promise. They didn't think they were going to ever have him. They tried to make things work themselves with uh, Ishmael and it didn't go well, especially for Hagar. Um, And uh, Sarah laughed when they told her because she knew that wasn't possible. You know, they had him when he was 100 kind of thing. Right. And then he comes, they get him, right? He's a natural firstborn son, which in that world, especially it wasn't just that Abraham wanted a son. It meant that Abraham would get to continue throughout. Like he would right. he would die, but his family would continue. You know, his lands, his property, his name, all of it. And then God says, this thing that you've wanted so, so badly, I want you to give it up to me. I want you to kill him on the altar because I tell you to. And I think we all know that story. But sometimes, because we've heard it so much, I think we kind of gloss over what that must have felt like for mm-hmm. Abraham. I mean, um, yeah. it's like God gave me this thing I wanted above all else, and now God wants it back. And not just like I'm going to leave him somewhere. God wants me to kill him. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, sacrifice then was not like just you know dropping your baby off at the firehouse. <laughs> Although Isaac wasn't a baby then, but anyway, so they go through all of this, right? And. Obviously, Isaac doesn't die in the end, but that'll come back later. But what I took from that story was you know, it seems to me that faith in Christ requires us to be willing to give up that thing which we want most in order to dedicate ourselves more um, closely to God, right? And so I thought that, yes, I really do want to be in a relationship and all of these things that most people can take for granted but I feel like God wants me to put him first. And so that was kind of the biblical way framework for me that I used to make this work, or at least tried to make this work. Um, and so I used it in that message to say like, I suspect most of you here, God's not asking you to give the same thing up, right? Because most of you ain't gay. <laughs> <laughs> but I said, I, I would question though, if your faith is one where, You've never had to sacrifice in that kind of way, I would question how I would question that faith. I said it just like that because I do think, even to this day, I still think God sometimes requires that kind of sacrifice, although, Mm -hmm. you know, not quite in the way that I thought then. But that was kind of the way I wrestled with that. And Abraham's story up to that point was a way that really helped me kind of. Grapple with it, kind of kind of apprehend it, which I bet Abraham would be awfully surprised to hear that, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, that that's that's kind of how I did that. Um,
0: what I like about that is there are like really two parts. One is it humanizes you, which you mm-hmm. don't need to be humanized, but in the Cultural context that you grew up, it's very easy to not see gay people as human beings.
1: In that world, I did need to be humanized because yeah.
0: I will say it as
1: strongly as gay people have been consistently dehumanized and made into an issue and not people for a very long time.
0: Yeah. Uh, Emmanuel Levin, I would call gay people in your world uh the other. Yeah. Pure I mean, and simple. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I really like that. But I also like. One of the tendencies I see from people, even even within myself and within other people who are um, either, well, it's tricky because I find a lot of similarities between those who are both, um, I'm going to use phrases, I don't know if they're the right ones, but anti-gay and, and very pro-gay. Mm-hmm. Um, I see a lot of similarities between them. Uh, You get like this tokenism, which is positive both positive and negative on either side. And uh, you get dehumanization, too, because for people who are pro, it's a lot of you're an issue rather than a person. And it's about equal rights rather than equal rights for Ryan. Well. Um, I was going
1: to bring this up later, but since you already did, I would say that that was one of the hardest parts of all of this was even to this point, I so often felt like an issue and not a person. You know, I remember when Oberfell um the decision that legalized gay marriage across the country happened, was that 12 or 15 or 2015? Whenever it was. I remember people posting on Facebook and a lot of the Christian ones were just terrible. Yeah. And I at the time even though i didn't think gay marriage was okay i still at i posted something that said like whatever you think and whatever questions you have you need to remember that these are real people with real lives that this affects and it's not okay to just like you can't just say gay marriage is wrong without considering what that means for the people who are gay you know and that had always been missing and is still largely missing Mm -hmm. i think and it's hard to be an issue. You know, yeah, it, it, yeah. it's uh, is not helpful. It really contributes to that shame. And you're correct that it comes from both directions, but it does look different.
0: Yeah, it's probably worse from the conservative direction, too, right?
1: You know, it's hard to say. Um, okay. I think it is because I think from the progressive direction, they at least think they're trying to help and they may be. I don't know. But I'm just saying, like, there are still... Tendencies from that way to campaign for equality, for example, and miss the fact mm. that you're campaigning for people, not yeah. a cause. Um,
0: <laughs> not fighting against somebody, right, but you're right, fighting exactly. for somebody. Yeah. So, but I also uh, like that that speaks into the reality that your journey, and you've made it very clear as you were talking so far, is just your journey. And it is it is that. There You're going to be at different points at different times. And where you were with the story of you preaching, you were at a place where celibacy or whatever it was of you giving up relationships, uh, at least intimate relationships like that, was part of your grappling with where you were. Um, yeah.
1: And I do think it was an important part of God working in my heart at the time. I do. I mean, as if you've listened to this podcast, you know that that's not where I am now. But I think it was really important, um, and I do think God was asking me to to be willing to give up that to follow Him. But we'll come back to that in a minute.
0: Okay. So the final question I have, then, uh, highlighting those like observations, is I imagine one of the fears of people who are conservative, or even those that are advocates, pro- probably not allies, but advocates who wanna see uh, LGBTQ uh, people get get a better shake at things here. I think one of the fears is that it's a terrible logical fallacy, but it's just one that's always there, which is the slippery slope. Um, and how do you match the slippery slope argument with a journey is what I'm thinking out loud uh, because you didn't know where you were going to go and where you are right now isn't necessarily where you were always heading. But I could see some people saying, well, if you pull at that thread, then you're mm-hmm. eventually going to get, and that's where that whole terrible pedophilia argument comes in, right. right? Yeah. I uh, mean, which is total horseshit, but it is something like, that's what I'm kind of grappling with, right? How do we let people, not let, how do we encourage and walk with people on a journey while fighting back that temptation to think about slippery slope or whatever might be there? Right. I mean, like you said, the slippery slope is a bullshit fallacy,
1: right? But it is also something that is a real concern for conservative folks. I mean, I can say till I'm blue in the face that it's bullshit, but it's, And it is, but it's not for people in that world. Oh,
0: it's a very real fear. It's, very it's a real. fear. Yeah.
1: And so, I mean, there's a few things I would say. Um, one, again, remember, we're talking about people, you know, two, uh, like we like to say on here, we'll slow down a second, right? <laughs> Let's. What are we talking about right now? Right now, we're talking about, for example, gay marriage, two men or two women getting married to each other. That's what we're talking about. So let's get, let's leave the other stuff for now because that's not where we are. Yeah. And I guess the other thing I would say is that the slippery slope idea is saturated with fear. Um, Like fear is the driving force behind that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I guess I would say that whenever fear is the driving force behind something other than like getting out of a burning building, (laughs) you know. um, (laughs) Yeah something's not right there like that i I don't think fear should be the thing that outside of like specific survival moments i I don't think fear should be what we should base these Mm. kinds of decisions on especially when we're talking about we're not talking about tax policy we're not talking about um i don't know like road infrastructure we're talking about real people in their lives right and so i i i think that's the best i could say to the slippery slope idea of say well if some of these other things happen, you deal with that then. But this is, in and of itself, it's not any of those other things. And yeah. we don't tend to bring that up as much with other things, right? Um, I would I would ask someone to question why we worry so much about the slippery slope in terms of gay people, much more than we do in terms of right almost
0: anything else. So we've done some things in my congregation and outside that deal with your story. And whenever this kind of question comes to me, I always think cart before the horse. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you're worrying about all this stuff when you're not even treating gay people as if they're people, right? Let's focus on that. And then once we have that kind of down pack, then we can start to figure out what it means to live life together and what it means for all those other complicated questions, because, um, some of them are, will turn out not to be so complicated. Others will be more complicated than we thought. And yet, we're doing it all together. Yeah, I mean, for people.
1: And when you see people as people, you're going to see almost no, if not none, <laughs> but very, very few pedophiles in training, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you're going to see people. Um, yeah. So. Okay, um, so you
0: were. So those are some questions that I think people would be thinking about. Um, you gave a, a sermon, and that kind of captured where you were in your life for a while. Mm-hmm. Um What happened after that? So,
1: I don't know, I don't remember the exact time period here, but as may not surprise anyone who's listened to a few episodes of this, I started having experiences that um, didn't fit within this new paradigm I'd constructed, right? This idea of um, single celibacy because that's what God wants, because that's what the Bible says. There's a few different ones, I'm not going to mention them all, but some of the most important important ones were so you remember i brought up that group of friends i had that were all in the same spot in terms of their sexuality as i was mm-hmm. and i remember looking around the table one night because we'd get together every week not just for that but that's how it happened you know and a lot of times those nights ended up being more about commiseration than anything else right we'd talk about how lonely we were or and not again there were fun things too but the gist of it was um Sad. (laughs) Sadness, Mm. right? And I remember looking around the table, I don't know, there are eight, 10 people, whatever it was, and realizing that not a single one of us, I could not describe any of us as emotionally or spiritually healthy, myself included, right? Mm. I mean, I remember realizing, okay, so I'm on medication for anxiety and depression, largely because of these things. It's not just this, but this has been one of the driving forces behind that, right? and i know that person is too and that person probably should be and it's not like in an evaluative judgmental sense it's just Mm -hmm. i would hear the stories they tell and i hear stories of self-loathing and i hear stories of uh depression and i hear stories of um anger and hurt and all those like it really ran the gamut of all that kind of stuff but i never left those times being like oh that feels better (laughs) Mm. (laughs) you know yeah and this was my experience of it. That may not have been what they experienced, right? But this was my experience of it. And I remember thinking, I don't know if God wants any of us to have boyfriends necessarily, but there's something that seems wrong about this perspective is this, if this is what we all experience as a result of it, you know, and that was just kind of, there was like a whole bunch of these different seeds, I guess. And that was just one of them. Uh, Another one was that, friend I talked about and my best friend, uh, one of my best friends, he told me he was getting married to another man. And I was conflicted about it because I wasn't sure what I should do. You know, it's that old tired question of like, should I go to the wedding kind of stuff? And it didn't take me too long. But in the end, I decided, well, yeah, because uh, my relationship with him is more important than anything else. And I Mm -hmm. want him to know that I love him and that you know, however this goes, really good or really bad or somewhere in between that I'm still his friend, you know. But I remember uh, afterwards, like looking around at the, um, you know, the the party or whatever afterwards. And I mean, there are plenty of people who were drunk and such, but I remember <laughs> just looking around and all I saw were people who were happy, you know. And it was such a marked contrast to the other group that I had described, again, not in a way that judges those people, but just the experience of those different groups. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember looking around and just being like, I've been told all my life that this is like sinful and wrong. And, you know, sin is supposed to bring death and all of this. And I just like, this just seems like the opposite. Like, I just don't understand what is so evil about this that seems like such a simplistic question but i mean at at the core of complicated theological questions are very simple ones like that <laughs> yeah most of the time you know and so i i remember after that that i kind of decided like okay i still don't know because it still sure seems like the bible says what it does you know the right. conservative position about it's not okay but i said you know i've never really dove into that myself and um i said well it's it's time for me to land on either this is okay or it isn't um just because like at some point not deciding is deciding you know Mm. and i need to know where i stand like is this okay or is it not not specifically his wedding i just mean all of it right right and so i did what i do (laughs) i read all of the books (laughs) about this (laughs) i read like probably 25 30 journal articles i read blog posts i uh, i talked to um pastors friends gay friends straight friends some family members therapists psychiatrists i mean i talked to everybody about this not so much i mean there're times when i wish someone would just tell me what to do but more of like how do i figure this out and i remember reading the i don't know 211th journal article one night and realizing that when there's only six verses in the bible about this there's only so much that can be said right mm, yeah. <laughs> and i remember sitting back in my chair and just being like man like i still don't know but if nothing else this is so much more complicated than i was told it was i don't really want to get into it here because if you're interested in this you can find it uh, like the expe- like the specific exegetical arguments but i mean there are There's exegetical questions, there's linguistic questions, there's historical questions, there's practical questions like we've been talking about. I mean, there's just so many places that I looked at all of the evidence, so to speak, on both sides, right? I I should clarify that I'm reading everything, the conservatives, the liberals, the (laughs) in-betweeners, you know, everything. And I said, if nothing else, I don't understand how we're so dogmatic about this because it just isn't as clear as I've been told you know, how we translate these two words makes a huge fucking difference. And, you know, one person will tell you one and the other person will tell you the other. And if you're not a linguist, like I'm not, what do you do? You know? Yeah. Um. And as I was so, so that, so that's kind of where I was with that. It's like, I hadn't at that point said, okay, so I think it's okay for me to change my perspective on what the Bible says. But I remember being like, this just, it just isn't, like I was told it was, this just isn't clear. I know people say the Bible very clearly says X, Y, or Z, and specifically in this case, well, it just says it right there. And I'm like, I don't know. I guess what I would say is it must be nice to have the privilege to be able to look at something like that and think it's clear um, because it has no effect on your life whatsoever. You know, and to look at that and say, well, that's all they deserve anyway, even if nobody says that out loud. Well, some people do, but, you know, like, it must be nice to be able to, to look at that that way. And so while all this is going on, I still haven't made any kind of decisions. Although if I'm being honest, I think a lot of my carefully constructed um, perspective I had told you about that I had made was not quite working like it was anymore. It hadn't mm-hmm. fallen apart, but there sure were some cracks, you know, if only because I was so certain and now I was not certain not at all. And again, this is something that really happened. Um, I I feel like people think this is contrived, but it really happened this way. So it was not too long after this that I was doing my, one of my first units of CPE, that's the chaplain training thing they make you do. And I was in the, I worked in a hospital and every morning the pastoral care team would gather and they'd do a prayer. And you know, these prayers could be anything because you had all kinds of different chaplains, right? You had Catholics, conservative Catholics, much more liberal people. You had Presbyterian, I mean, you had everything. And so the prayers could be everything from reading scripture to reading Hemingway. I mean, like you just never knew what you're going to get. And this one chaplain um, was there and she read this prayer and uh, I didn't really know her. Like she certainly didn't know a single Detail of this story. She didn't know me. She didn't know I was dealing with any of this stuff. And I had a copy of this prayer because I I copied it from her book and I lost it because I'm ashamed of myself. No, (laughs) I wish I hadn't, you know. (laughs) But the entire thing she was reading was about liminality and specifically thresholds in life. And I remember her reading something pretty much like pretty close to saying, you know, you're at this threshold you've been thinking, you've been praying. Now's the time to take the step. Like and not just now's the time, but like it's okay to change what you have done. It's okay to like, you know, we think if you just walk in a door, we don't think about that, right? That's just something you do, but crossing crossing this kind of threshold I'm talking about was a big deal. And I couldn't. Mm-hmm. I couldn't figure out what to do, and so then I hear this person who doesn't know me, doesn't know this story, doesn't know any of these things I'm wrestling with, saying, "It's okay." In a prayer, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, some people that may not be enough for some people, but I, I didn't take that in and of itself as God saying it's okay to to change what you believe about this and maybe be in a relationship and all of that. But I took it as permission of like, it's okay to explore that way in a way that I hadn't before. And another important detail was remember how Abraham's story was so important to me in that, you know, he had to give up that thing that he wanted most. And this seems like such a such an easy insight that I had somehow missed. I said, wait a minute though, Abraham put him on the altar, but there's an important part of that story that I had stopped before. I like Isaac didn't die. Right. Like Abraham put him up there. Abraham gave him up. And then God said, don't do it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, it was like, I think I think I did put it up there. And then I stopped and missed the part where God said, "Okay, you've put it up there. You don't have to actually kill it. And. So I guess it was all of these things combined. I wouldn't say it was just the research I did. It wasn't just that prayer. It wasn't just my friend's wedding. It wasn't just the fact that I was deeply and emotionally and spiritually unhealthy and lonely and all of that. But when I put all of it together, I just said, this can't be what God wants the way I had been living my life, you know, and whether I ever have a boyfriend or not, because I didn't at the time, it it had been important to me to try and figure out where I landed on this before I was involved with somebody because I mean, I think that's gonna affect your decision process, right? (laughs) You know, you're in love with somebody, it's gonna be hard to, you know, you can't be objective, but you know what I mean. So all of that happened and you know, there was a lot more to it than I just did in 10 minutes there or whatever. But I guess as happened for me is that like, when I put all of that together, I felt like it was God telling me, like, it's okay, you know. And you know, I didn't meet somebody right away. I went on a few dates, didn't go out, didn't work so well, you know, just because dating's like that. <laughs> um, one guy was a creep. One guy was a nice guy, but probably a robot because he didn't have emotions. I mean, it's just that kind of stuff, right? Normal happens. And like, so it, it was a it was a huge change because it meant that, and I think this would probably be where I'd end the story for today. Um, This change especially meant that there was really no place for me in my former world now, right? Before with my uh, celibate single, that's what I think the Bible says perspective. It didn't always work and it wasn't always comfortable, but there was a certain space I had been able to carve out for myself, at least in terms of the church I was at. Right. And with this, that wasn't the case anymore. Cause like I was one of the pastors on staff at this point while all of this was going on. And, you know, part of the other problem was I, I, I went to my pastor, which was the same one I talked about earlier. And he knew that I was doing some of this stuff, like thinking about these things. So it wasn't like I dropped it out of the sky on him, but we had the conversation where, and this was a tough conversation, but where it's like, you know, he's like, I've been thinking maybe we need to be a little more clear about where our church stands on that. And he said, if I were to talk about how our church is more on the conservative side of traditional marriage and all that, he said, would you be able to even support that? And I I said, no, you know, partly just an integrity thing, but partly because I think that's not a very healthy perspective for people. So all I'm using that to say is that This change wasn't something I just made rather breezily. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like this was years in process and it wasn't just in my mind. I mean, I prayed and agonized about this decision for years. And so it was scary because it was one of the main things that put me on this frontier that we talk about on this podcast, because my whole world that I had lived in and built wasn't available anymore. I wasn't welcome there even though they were very nice about it you know it could have gone worse but in the end I I wasn't I couldn't be there anymore and that's kind of where we there's been some other stuff that's happened but that's kind of what brought me to this journey that Nate and I talk about is that um well where do I go now what what do I even believe like um, what church do I go to do it? There was about a year after this happened or at least six months. Anyway, that I didn't go to any church cause I didn't want to, cause I was hurt and scared. Mm-hmm. So all of this was a long process is still in process, but this story that I've told, I think I hope illustrates the kind of thing we talk about on here of like, whether anybody else's story is about this subject or not. I hope it can be something that tells you like that prayer did for me. It's okay to explore in ways you haven't before. And I'm just going to leave it that broad because I don't know what other people's stories are, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I hope that people who hear it, hear that in there, that God is not threatened by you doing that kind of exploring, even though we've been taught for so long that, that God is.
0: Yeah. We really have. So I really appreciate hearing the journey and hearing the story. I know lots of people do. Um, whenever you talk, you're like the star of the show. People love to hear from you. So, Well, then I um, should ask
1: for a raise.
0: I know. <laughs> the checks in the mail. Um, <laughs> So I think there's a lot of value just from hearing this story. And I, you know, at the beginning, I said, we're not going to spend much time trying to process. But let's ask one question. Um, Do you have anything that you think is important for the conservative world in which you grew up into here? Is there anything that you would, given a chance... And without all the complications of what that would mean, um, what would you say to that world, where you are right now?
1: You know, if you'd asked me that two years ago, I probably would have said all the curse words I know and left it at that, but (laughs) it's not where I am now. And honestly, I think what I would ask, that's what I would do. I would request, not so much for me personally, but you know there's plenty of kids and not and adults in all of these churches who are dealing with the same kind of stuff I was. I mean just statistically speaking if you have any church has probably got somebody, right? And I yes. guess what I would say is like I'm 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 begging you not because I plan need to go back, but for those people um I would ask you to start thinking about this in terms other than just doctrine because what that has done to people like me has done immeasurable harm you know it's not just that the world thinks the church hates gay people although that does tend to be what people think and at least in some cases it's hard to argue with i mean i i just really wish that church could be safe for people who need it to be safe and i know that the first thing is yeah but what about the bible it's like what about the people? Okay. Like I know probably better than most of them <laughs> what the Bible says. Okay, <laughs> yeah, And I get it. And I'm not saying that's not a concern or that we can't talk about that or they're wrong for ever asking the question or even having some amount of worry about it. I, I don't expect things to, to like change overnight. I'm not asking conservative churches to start holding gay weddings tomorrow. Nothing like that but I'm just asking, like I'm begging you, like look at what the way the church has acted towards this group has done to that group of people. You know, look at um, how the church has, uh, how the church acted at least in America during the AIDS crisis. Look at um, the fact that there are still large denominations out there who uh, believe in conversion therapy that has caused people to kill themselves. I mean, like your doctrine could even be right. I don't think it is, but it could be right. And if it's causing people that kind of harm, it's wrong. You know, like I I just really wish, I really hope that somehow, and this could be true of other churches too, but since I'm talking to the evangelicals or conservative Christians about this, it's just please, (laughs) you know, please start thinking about people first and admitting if you don't know, like you could even come to the point where you say, but this is really what I think the Bible says, but that you can't stop there. Like, because if that's the case, what's your responsibility then towards this other person? And so I don't know if maybe I'm rambling here, but what I'm trying to say is just like, we've got our priorities so wrong and that all we care is about All we care about is what we think we're supposed to believe and the effects that that has on other people doesn't matter. And I hope that that can change. I I have to be honest, I don't know, I don't always have a lot of hope, but some days I have more hope than others. And it's not even about me being hurt and angry, although that's in there, it's more about, I I just hope for better for all of us.
0: Well, thanks for that answer. I think that helps us process a little bit, or at least get on the road of processing as we listen to that story, as we listen to your story and how that has changed. And it really showed what this uh, frontier looks like. And I like how you did that at the end. Um, I didn't pay him to do that. <laughs> we didn't uh, plan
1: that either. I'm just, yeah, that just happened.
0: That was great. <laughs> So if somebody was really interested in reading something that would help them in the goals that you hope for, uh, what's something that they could read? If you want one that is more uh, kind of
1: like we did today, that is more like um, the experience of a person, Person, I would say a good place to check out is uh, God and the Gay Christian, which is Matthew Vines, I think. And that book's not perfect, and you could—I'm sure—if you wanted, you could pick apart his exegesis or theology. But I guess I would just encourage you to read it and try not to do that, just just to have that experience. If you're looking for something that's more scholarly, um, if you're wanting to engage with it on that level, one that was really helpful to me and kind of examining this question from a lot of ways. It's called Christianity, Social Tolerance, and Homosexuality. It's by um, John Boswell. He was a professor at Yale uh, until he died. And um, like the other one, I'm sure you could find things to argue with, and that's fine, go ahead and do that. But I think if you look into some of these things, I hope what it does is not necessarily change your doctrine. Although if you come to our site, we have cookies. No, um, (laughs) I hope what it does more than that is just show you that it's more complicated than maybe you had thought. Because honestly, if I, if I feel like if we can just get more people to admit it's complicated, that's a pretty big step forward. Um, so those are very different ends of the spectrum there. There's lots of other things you can read. Um, and you know, If you're interested, send us an email and I can give you a more detailed list, but um, maybe those two would help. And the last thing I would say is, you know, do you know any gay people? (laughs) Maybe not. But if you do, I think that can help more than any book you'll read. Um, It it changes a lot of things when you're dealing with this in terms of someone you know and care about, as opposed to just abstract and theologically.
0: What kind of cookies do you have?
1: Um, Snickerdoodles. They have a little bit of cinnamon on top of them. They're a bit usually chewy, kind of. Yes. Yeah, those are some of my favorites.
0: Well, count me in. Uh,
1: <laughs> you hear that? We got another one. <laughs> There's the slippery slope in action.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Bribery of cookies that I can't right. eat. Uh, yeah, my favorite kind of cookie. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for joining us here for this conversation uh we really appreciate that I know Ryan does tremendously to be able to share his story with you at this well that we're doing um and uh yeah don't don't let this just be something you listen to and put into your brain as nice trivia or something that uh was interesting to listen to um really work to take the next step and of course we don't know what the next step is for you but the next step of exploration at the very least uh, dedicate yourself to doing that this week if we can help you in any way uh, ryan already mentioned that you can email us of course you can email us at friend to your faith podcast at gmail.com send us an email over there and if you need a list of books that you'd like to read or if you have a question uh, we'll try our best to answer those questions, uh, send them our way. You can also join us on Facebook. Our Facebook page is at Frontier Faith Podcast. Just search for that and you should be good to go. And we really want both places just to be a place where we can uh, talk with you. And um, especially as we share a story like we did today, as Ryan shared his story, we want to be there to, uh, to help you with that. Um, and I want to thank Ryan for sharing this story, uh, as always. Uh, this podcast wouldn't be what it is without him, and I'm glad to be doing it with him and sharing such a vulnerable and hard story, even though you've done it several times by now, and I've heard it uh, heard it a few times. It's good to hear that story once again and remind me of where I am in my life and, and how I can do better t- to people like you, and I appreciate that.
1: Well, I, I'm glad to share it, and uh, it's always interesting to me how even though I've told it many times, something new comes up every time I I present the story. You know, that's one of yeah. the neat things that narrative does. So, um, but yeah, and to any of you who are listening, thanks for listening. And uh, like I like to say, I guess it's a, it's a tagline for me or something of like it's okay, it's gonna be okay, God will take care of us.